This is the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess, and we're monitoring our way into episode number 67. Welcome to the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast, the tips, tools, and straight talk you want for pregnancy, childbirth, and bringing up baby. And now your host, Kristen Burgess. Hi, this is Kristen from naturalbirthandbabycare.com. Today we are going to talk about what I did with Sadie when I was pregnant with Sadie for prenatal care. I shared a little bit when I shared her birth story a few weeks ago that I really enjoyed my pregnancy with Sadie. Um, Well, I mean, there was always some things about pregnancy that aren't enjoyable or things that get stressful or worrying. But for the most part, I really enjoyed my pregnancy with Sadie and I felt like I really bonded with her and... I was really very aware of myself and my own self-care on a higher level than I had been before. And I promised that I would share a little bit about that. And this week is a good week because if you read the article that I posted on the blog yesterday, uh, that article was all about does prenatal care really save lives? And the argument that I made in the article was, well, that yes, I do think that prenatal care saves lives. And sometimes I think it saves lives because a care provider does pick up on a problem that's developing, or sometimes there really is some sort of emergency situation that just crops up that nobody was expecting, though I think that that's very rare. Um, But I made the argument that, that we see complication rates are really rising today. I mean, prematurity is rising. Even maternal and infant death rates are kind of creeping up. If you look at where the United States at least rates for that, it's far, far, far below other developed countries. Like, especially those of you ladies who are in Europe, you enjoy um, far less chance of maternal and infant death than women in the United States do. But anyways, I mean, all of those markers out there are not really improving. And So a lot of public health campaigns focus on how prenatal care can help stop these things, but that doesn't really seem to be the case. So what's going on? And that's what uh, I talked about in the article was that while I do think that there is a time when a care provider is a huge asset, I mean, I think that care providers are a huge asset, period. Uh, I love midwives. I love my midwives. One day when my kids are grown, I would love to maybe serve women by being a midwife. So I'm coming from that perspective, and I I have a lot of respect for obstetricians. I mean, I have obstetricians that I've consulted with for my uh, birthing class students, and, you know, there are great doctors and great midwives out there, period, and I respect them. And I think that prenatal care is a good thing. I do. But I think that we sort of think, and I guess the way that I said it in the article was that the act of driving to the doctor or the midwife and sitting down and having your appointment somehow makes you and your baby safer. And I really don't believe that's true. A doctor or a midwife may recognize the signs of something that you as a quote-unquote layperson don't recognize, but I'm not sure that that is really a prenatal care issue. That's an education issue. And women should be educated to know what to look for. And that's actually what I think one of the strengths of prenatal care is, is that it's an opportunity for women to get that education on how to take care of themselves. But what I do think is important when it comes to prenatal care is that prenatal care is what you do uh, between your appointments. And you'll see the quote that I have in there from a couple of uh, highly respected midwives. I have a quote from them in the article. And I'll put the link to the article in the show notes. 
But I have a, they say that your prenatal care is what you do between visits to your midwife. And that's really so true. Think about it. You're you're pregnant for about 280 days and you see your care provider maybe 12 or 15 times. Uh, if you're higher risk, you'll see them more. But, you know, still it's only a handful of times compared to the number of days that you're pregnant. So your prenatal care is what you're doing between those days. And how you take care of yourself does make a huge difference. And I don't I don't think that women are being, we're not being taught that. We're being taught that prenatal care is, is driving to your appointment once a month or once in the first trimester, once a month in the second trimester. And then every couple of weeks and then every week in the last month of pregnancy. That's what we're taught that prenatal care is. And I don't think that we're not taught anything different because doctors and midwives are on some sort of power trip. I actually don't think that that's it at all. I think it has more to do with we want to be politically correct and tiptoe around and not hurt anybody's feelings or make her think that anything was her fault, right? And so certainly, and I've talked about this before, I, I think that mother guilt is a very real problem that there's this tendency to blame mothers, right? And I don't think that that's a good thing. I do think that that's something that we need to be really careful about. But I, I also don't think that we need to be so scared of causing guilt in a woman that we don't give her the knowledge that she needs to have a healthy pregnancy. So there's uh, there are these schools in the United States called KIPP schools, Um and they do great things with kids, but I just love them. They're called KIPP schools because knowledge is power, right? And it's the same thing for women, for pregnant women, for birthing women, for parenting women. Knowledge is power. And when you have knowledge, you can make choices. You can make the right choices. You can understand misconceptions. And maybe the knowledge really isn't there for a lot of people yet because, of course, we're talking about... Uh, we're talking about a, a culture, a society that doesn't really understand what it takes to keep pregnant women healthy. Um, but, you know, those of us who do, we need to shout it from the rooftops because women and babies are depending on it. Mothers and babies are depending on it. And as more and more women stand up and say, I want to understand how my body works during pregnancy. I want to understand the physiological changes. I want to understand how I can support myself and support my baby. I want to be responsible. Then I believe that that research will be done on a larger scale. Things will be paid more attention to. I mean, because when mama bears start to grumble, the world starts to listen. It's just that we have to demand it. We have to say, look, what's what's going on right now isn't working. And so we need to do something different. And, and women have to be empowered to do that. And so I think that we need to realize that we can forgive ourselves and let go of guilt. When we know better, we do better. That's, uh, I think, a Maya Angelou quote that I really love. And so you may not have done the same thing you in a previous pregnancy that you're going to choose to do in this pregnancy. Uh, and we also need to, you know, we need to stand up and say that even if I did make a mistake, I'm going to forgive myself uh, because, you know, we are forgiven for our mistakes. It's probably, we are probably the hardest, uh, the hardest people on ourselves. You know, you're harder on yourself than anybody else is. And where somebody else has forgiven you, you may have a harder time forgiving yourself. But I challenge you, if you feel like you've made mistakes in your mothering game, and I certainly have, 
then go ahead and forgive yourself and let it go. I mean, some mistakes are small. Like yesterday, I lost track of time and we ended up having lunch really late. That was a small mistake and some of them are huge. Like yelling at your kid when you shouldn't have or feeling like, okay, my kid has an issue that I might could have prevented by doing something prenatally. I mean, I've, I've been in all those places like with all of Galen's eating and stuff, eating problems. It was like if I had caught something sooner, if I had advocated harder, and I still feel it today because he's six years old, and when we go to story time at the library, you know, there's there's four-year-olds who are standing heads above him, it feels like. He's just so tiny. And I wonder, did I do something there? Or did I, if I had been more proactive, would things have been different? Would he have not been so scrawny? But I have to forgive myself and pray to God that he will make it up when he hits his adolescent growth spurt. But really, I can't beat myself up for it. And... Um, and, you know, so there are going to be things like that throughout your mothering career. So I challenge you to be able to be able to forgive yourself. And but I guess this whole whole thing started because prenatal care is just so important. But I also I challenge you to think that prenatal care isn't driving to your doctor's appointment. It's taking care of yourself and go read the article because you know, obviously I was able to write out in the article with a little bit more eloquence than I'm speaking right now because I do think that having a care provider is really valuable. So let's talk about what I did with Sadie uh, and how it was kind of, um, you know, a manifestation of this concept or an embodiment of this concept, so to speak. So I did hire a midwife during my pregnancy with Sadie and actually I, I consulted with um, with another birth worker too who when I just needed some emotional support and help making some decisions early in pregnancy, I reached out to the resources that that were there for me and, and all of these people were birth workers. So my two midwives who are local to me and then also a friend who is a birth worker and she's not local to me so I spoke to her on the phone and she was able to support me and I mean these women are incredible and remarkable and uh, and I say women but I also want to say that the, the doctor that I often consult with for problems that my students are having that kind of go beyond my level of knowledge is uh, a maternal fetal medicine specialist and he's he's a he so I think that resources can be men and women and care providers are a great resource during pregnancy and I chose to to have all my regular prenatal care uh, so you know going to my midwife's office and having her palpate the baby and listen to the baby and uh, stepping on that relatively horrible invention called a scale and uh, you know doing the urine check and everything like that so I had all of that happen at my care provider's office and and most especially that emotional support during my pregnancy was just really helpful and then I had some time during my pregnancy with Sadie where I had some worries so around 28 weeks or so while I was snowshoeing I kept feeling like what I call the bowling ball sensation just that feeling that everything's about to fall out of the bottom of you and it's kind of scary when you're uh, 10 12 weeks before your due date to have that feeling and so I was talking to my midwife about that what's going on um, and that feeling we we actually determined was probably just uh, from blood and variscosities and so just having extra support while I was snowshoeing took care of the problem like completely it was miraculous 
really, to me. Uh, and I guess miraculous in the sense that it just validated for me that it, it wasn't really a problem with the baby. It was just other things going on. And addressing those other things solved that problem. But, you know, I needed my midwife and her wisdom and her feedback uh, because her just talking with her about it had some light bulbs go on for me and helped me remember, okay, something like this happened with Corwin. And so it was a good thing. And then also around 35, 36 weeks, um, I was having Braxton Hicks, but they had a crampy edge to them. And I mentioned that to my other midwife. And she said, well, maybe you're not drinking enough water, Kristen. And I thought to myself that, well, maybe I haven't been paying attention to my water, so I was going to pay attention for a couple days. And I paid attention to how much I was drinking, and again, instantly just like that, it solved that crampy edge on the Braxton Hicks contractions. So, you know, her insight was spot on, and she was able to be objective and just make a suggestion that I had overlooked uh, because I just, you know, stepping back from your situation, sometimes you see those things, but sometimes when you're in... When you're in it, you don't see those things. And so having somebody else is helpful. Sorry if I sound a little bit snuffly, ladies. Kind of got a cold going around here. But, uh, I mean, and that's actually one of the things that I think that I do for my mama baby birthing students and also for smart mama happy baby members is I'm just an objective third party. And so when they ask me a question... I pull on my wisdom for my pregnancies a bit, but also from all the knowledge that I've gained just by being a birth worker for the past 14 years and um, and doing intensive academic study and just being in this field. You know, I have objectivity that I can bring to them and offer a perception to them. And then for the smart mama, happy baby, uh, people, you know, it's from raising my own little ones and from all I've studied when, when it has to do with parenting. So all of those things, I can bring an objectivity in, and a care provider can bring that in for you. They have a lot of wisdom and a lot of knowledge, and they can bring that to you. And when you're right in the middle of a situation, you may not see something that seems pretty obvious to them, and so they can help you in that way. So definitely, I chose to have a care provider help me with Sadie and just support me, and, and that was a good thing for me. I don't think that's a choice that every woman has to make. I mean, I'll be bold and say that I I, I am pretty supportive of family birth or unassisted birth, and I'm also pretty supportive of unassisted prenatal care. I don't think it's a choice that a lot of moms make. Uh, I'm trying to think. I mean, I've had hundreds of students in mama baby birthing now, and I, I think I've had a couple of them, not counting myself, have an unassisted birth. And, uh, and I think pretty much all of them have had some, some prenatal care throughout pregnancy. So, I mean, we're talking out of hundreds of students <laughs> and counting myself. I can think off the top of my head of three unassisted births. And, uh, and two of those were because the midwife just didn't make it. Um, so, you know, I don't think it's a common choice, but it is a choice that I'm supportive of. And I'm also supportive of unassisted prenatal care because I feel like a woman can take care of herself. But for me, the choice was to um, the choice was to have my midwife support during pregnancy. And that was very important to me. But I also, I, I was doing a lot of academic study uh, really after... After Corwin was born is when I really, I, I enrolled in, um, in an academic program and so really, really doing a lot of study and being challenged on a higher level to have to dig into the research, uh, dig into 
what older and experienced midwives have found because sometimes research is pretty biased towards what's quote-unquote the norm in the hospital, which may surprisingly or not surprisingly may not be what is actually supposed to be the norm for birth. Uh, So speaking to older midwives and, and learning from them and attending workshops and all of that sort of stuff. And so I really got a lot more intimately involved in, um, in the deep aspects of, of learning the knowledge that has to do with pregnancy and birth. And then just before I got pregnant with Sadie, I was really starting to look into and discover a lot about what it takes for prenatal care and what it takes to be healthy during pregnancy, even more so than I had before, and how, how a woman can be empowered for that and how care providers can empower a woman uh, to be able to do that for herself and her baby. And so when Sadie was born, or when I got pregnant with Sadie, I really wanted to be able to experience taking those reins myself on an even deeper level. Now, from my very first baby, I've been passionate about nutrition um, and and really midwifery care and the level of autonomy and responsibility and dignity and uh, empowerment that gives to women because my midwife was a really big champion on teaching and educating. Um, She educated me on what proper pregnancy diet was and taking care of myself and really taking the reins to prepare for my own birth. And so I had a great foundation right from the beginning. But the... The concept of being able to really do my own prenatal care was something that was was intriguing and, and newer to me when my, with my pregnancy with Sadie. So what what I chose to do was first off I decided that, or we decided, Scott and I decided collectively, that we didn't want to find out our baby's gender. And so we neither of us really saw any reason for an ultrasound. Um, and so we were going to forego the ultrasound, and I also decided that I wanted to forego Doppler usage, so just no ultrasound exposure for our baby, and that's a whole can of worms that I'm not going to open here, but that was something that we decided, uh, so we knew we weren't going to use a Doppler, but I, I like listening to the baby's heartbeat. I feel like that helps me to bond, and so I decided to get a fetoscope which I bought off of Amazon.com for like 20 bucks. I can link to the one that I used in the show notes. And it served me really well. But I thought to myself, what does my midwife do to keep track of my health from a clinical perspective? Well, she listens to the baby. She palpates the uterus and and the fundus in the baby. Uh, The fundus is the top of the uterus. And she tracks weight. She checks blood pressure, and she checks urine. And in reality, all of those things were, were things that I realized that I could do from home. So I, uh, I actually went through do-it-yourself prenatal care from Indie Birth, and I, it's a course that they offer, and I can link to that in the show notes too. But they really talked about uh, all of these things and how you can do it for yourself, and there was a little, little journal page um, included with the course, which I kind of modified to suit myself. But I used that every week, 
And especially early in my pregnancy, I got a little bit lapsed with it later in the pregnancy, but especially early on, you know, I journaled how I was feeling that week. I chased Sadie around with the fetoscope. I was really persistent with it because I really wanted to hear her. And I found her at about 15 weeks. That's a little bit earlier than some moms are able to find a baby with a fetoscope. But like I said, I was, you know, I was willing to lay in bed for a half an hour just on poking around and prodding and seeing if I could find her and it was just it was so exciting the day that I found her and I really think that until she's until she started moving I would listen like every day because the fetoscope that's just a stethoscope there's there's no doppler no ultrasound exposure nothing to worry about really so you can sit there and listen and you can listen every day and it was just it was a special time for me to be able to try and find her and it was exciting for me and of course you always have the question that what if there's two I think that every woman wonders that at some point during her pregnancy and so I would find Sadie and kind of put my finger where she was and then listen around to see just in case I heard another one I never did hear two uh, and obviously I only got one Sadie but that was you know that was fun for me um, and I think it helped me to bond with her I also, I really palpated. One thing that I was I was almost ginger or scared to do it, especially in my early pregnancies, to feel my own belly. You know, I'm not talking about just putting your hand and feeling a kick, but really feeling where your baby is and feeling your baby's position. And of course, you can tell some of that internally, you know, just by where you're feeling the kicks and things as your baby grows. But feeling from the outside too, like your midwife or some OBs still do it too, like your midwife or OB will palpate your belly. And I really, really wanted to do that. And so I started doing it early on, just even only feeling my uterus before, because you can't feel a baby for a long time. But I would feel my uterus and where it was uh, in relation to my pelvis and in relation to my belly button. And then I was able to start feeling baby parts and feeling a baby head. But when I was pregnant with Cor, when I had my midwife help me a little bit as I got farther along to try and feel, you know, what, tell me what I'm feeling here. What's this that I'm feeling here? Um, and with Sadie, I just, I took it to another level and I was just, I was really interested in feeling her, um, and feeling what position she was in and seeing what I could feel. And I was studying at the same time, studying the ways that babies lie in the in the womb and that sort of thing and the terminology for that so I would talk to my midwife about that at my appointments and you know ask her am I pronouncing this right and and I read about this in my book and can we feel this on my baby or what do you think my baby's position is um you know what is my do you think my baby's head is in flexion or extension those all that sort of stuff is kind of technical but for me being I guess kind of a birth junkie it was fun and it helped me to bond with Sadie I I did have some anxiety throughout my pregnancy because I didn't know if she was a boy or a girl uh, and we have found out with the others we didn't find out with Cassidy our first but we had found out with all the others core when I didn't want to find out but our ultrasound technician revealed it by accident so and I, I'd always kind of regretted that, which is one of the reasons why we decided just not to have an ultrasound at all this time. Because we didn't feel like there would be anything, uh, it didn't matter what, what might be wrong with the baby. You know, we were going to accept the baby that was coming to us, not the baby that we pictured. And without wanting to know gender, it probably was a better idea not to have it. But because I didn't know that gender, uh, so we didn't know who this person was, so to speak, 
it was nice for me to be able to feel and to listen to the heartbeat. And I really, I think that that helped me bond a lot with Sadie. And still, when I see, I just, I love little baby froggy legs. And she's still got little froggy legs. She's 12 weeks old now. I can't believe that. But she's 12 weeks old and she's still got those little froggy legs somewhat. And I like to think, you know, that those little legs kicked me. And I was really aware of her positioning probably from the end of the second trimester all the way to her birth. I was, I just knew what position she was in. I didn't need to ask the midwife. I knew because I could feel with my hands on the outside and my brain started to connect what I was feeling on the inside with what my hands felt on the outside. And I was just really aware of her and really connected with her in that way and just talking to her. And so even if mentally I sometimes felt some anxiety of not knowing who this little person was or if this little person was going to be all that I hoped, uh, which I think is a normal feeling for any pregnant woman, there was that very tactile connection that I had with her and I just loved that. I also decided to, to journal each week. Uh, I listen, I listened to her heart rate and wrote about that. I never really got very good at measuring the heart rate. So I could tell that it was about the same every week. So her heart rate stayed pretty steady. And I could tell like if she was sleeping that it seemed a little bit slower or if she was really wiggly that it seemed a little bit faster. But I never got very good at counting beats per minute. So that wasn't something that I wrote down. Or I usually wrote down an estimate of around 140 because I knew from my midwife who I also asked that she would use a fetoscope and she was totally respectful of that. But she could track beats per minute. And so Sadie was usually around the 140 mark uh, in beats per minute. And so I would write that down because I could tell that it was about that. But I would record her position, record where I found the heartbeat uh, on my belly and about how fast I thought it was. I wrote down my thoughts and feelings and questions, things that I wanted to research more. And I also did check uh, my weight each week and I checked my blood pressure each week. Scott has a home blood pressure monitor and that's what I used. And I also went ahead and again from Amazon, you can order urine test strips. And so I went ahead and ordered those. And I just used those to check my urine about once a week. And so I was, I never had any anxiety or worry or anything when I went to the midwife's office because I knew exactly what everything was going to say because I had already done that for myself and I had already kept my own records and so every week I could flip and see that things were growing even early on before I could feel a baby I could feel that my uterus was rising up out of my pelvis and I could see that things were healthy from from a urine test standpoint and I could see that I was gaining weight at whatever rate maybe a little bit faster than I would have ideally imagined but you know, I was gaining weight and blood pressure was good, could hear the baby's heartbeat, could feel baby moving. I just, I really felt empowered. Uh, and it, it was a good sensation. I don't want to say that I felt superior or, uh, or haughty or anything like that, but I just felt like I knew and understood myself and what was going on with my body. And that was a really awesome feeling for me. So in addition to the nutrition and stuff that I had always done, I didn't feel like I had to depend on anybody. I felt like I could 
I could be confident with my midwife that she was there for my emotional support and for those times when I had questions, but that I understood on a baseline how I was doing. And that was really, really nice. It was a great experience, and I think that it helped me, like I said, to bond with Sadie and just to be able to enjoy my pregnancy. Some moms I know who do their own prenatal care or who really focus on their own self-care, they don't choose to keep those clinical values so much like I did where they where they check the blood pressure and the urine and everything like that. But they might keep a weekly journal or a log of how they're feeling and their thoughts and their feelings. And that helps them to have that same feeling of confidence and that same established sense of well-being and that's a that is a really good thing however you choose to do it I do encourage you as a woman and as a as a mother in your pregnancy just to to find a way to feel confident that you are enjoying some of that uh I don't know how to put it some of that autonomy maybe in your prenatal care that you're really the one who's stepping up and who's doing that. And so when you go to your doctor or your midwife, they're supporting you. They're there for an awesome resource for uh, for somebody that you can consult with. But you already have a good baseline of how you're doing. There's no worry about, oh, maybe the results will be bad today or whatever. Uh, when you're in there with your with all the prenatal screenings that they do. Instead, you know that baseline of health and you know that you're feeling good. And also, if there's something that feels off to you or wrong to you, you're very aware of that. And you can go to them from an intelligent standpoint and say, you know, look, usually I feel good. I feel connected. I feel like my baby is in this position or that position. Uh, Kit counting can be something that goes along with this too. You may want to keep kit count logs as your baby gets bigger, uh, moving into the third trimester there. But that all gives you a place of empowerment uh, and a place of understanding of yourself to come from in your pregnancy. It's just, it's a good place to be at. It's a good place to be that in charge of your health and that connected with your body and have that level of understanding of yourself and what all is going on with yourself. So do get the go to those 12 to 15 prenatal care visits that you go to, but also enjoy that bonding and that confidence that comes from knowing that you're keeping track of what's going on for yourself too. And knowing that your prenatal care is more than just making those appointments. It's being aware of you and how your baby is doing, whether you choose to do the clinicals or not. It's just it's paying attention to how you're doing and how you're, how you're caring for yourself during pregnancy. And that is empowering and beneficial for you and your baby. Okay, ladies, with that, I think that we'll, we'll close it out for today uh, because I do have a cold and I'm hoping to bring a lot more to you next week and in the next few weeks. So let me know anything that you would like to hear about on the podcast. I've got several listener requests that are coming up in episodes over the next few weeks. Uh, Let me know what you want to hear about. Let me know any feedback that you have. Please, if you have a minute, leave me a rating on iTunes or on Stitcher. They really help get the word about the podcast out to more families, and I appreciate that so much. Uh, And If you are interested in my birthing classes or just signing up for the newsletter, you can head over to TrustBirth101. That's TrustBirth101.com. Sign up for the newsletter. You'll get a lot of helpful information for your pregnancy and for your baby. And I would love to have you there. Take care, and I will talk to you next week.
Thanks for listening to the Birth, Baby and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess. For great resources and tons more info, visit www.birthbabylife.com. Visit www.birthbabylife.com.